blessed to have founding pastor of this church, Pastor JR, speak with us. And so let's just pray for him as he brings us the word out of 1 Corinthians. Lord, we thank you for this man of God. Thank you for his history before you. Thank you for his faithfulness to you. We thank you for the love that he has for you. And right now, I just pray that you would open his heart, God. And you would just bless him with your presence and with your light as he opens the word to us like he's done so many faithful times before. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for JR. Amen and amen. Doesn't sound like, oh, there I am. Now I'm on. Anyway, love you, boy. It's just a real peaceful sense from the worship. Thank you, folks, for the worship. Thank you. You know, just the Lord showed me some things tonight. Um, Yvonne and I were up. We, I spoke at another church in Denver this Sunday, and um, I spoke on transition, like life transitions, when we go through life transitions. And, you know, it, it, it's really interesting. Uh, so when I was back in the prayer room just praying, the Lord showed me that somebody's going through a life transition right now, and I'm sure we're all going through life transitions because we do all our life, but it's really a hard transition. Uh, you're going through a really hard transition right now, and the problem is you're fearing the future. And I just want you to know that God has, he's got, <laughs> he's got you in his hand, and he's got the future uh, in, in his hands. And so uh, it's easy to worry about it. It's easy when you don't know what's coming. It's easy to get upset about it, but I just want you to know uh, that peace you're feeling tonight is the peace that he's releasing to you. Another person I saw went through, you went through a, probably in the last two weeks, you went through maybe even, anyway, within the last two weeks, you went through a relational breakup. And it could have been boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, I, you know, just through a real, like a difficult time. It could have been with a friend. I don't know what it was, but I know that you've been feeling really empty and, and bad about that. And God just wants you to know he's with you and just to let it go to let it go, to let it go, and uh, just to put it in his hands rather than replay it and, and anguish over it, which is the normal thing that we do. And uh, the third thing, I said somebody's struggling physically. Uh, you're just going through some physical things and you're just feeling just so much less of a person. And I want you to know that you're not any less of a person. God wants you to know. I'm not, I don't want you to know, but I want you to know too. But anyway, uh, but just with that physical thing, again, release that the struggle that you're going through physically to him, you know, and we struggle emotionally, we struggle physically, and he's there for us, but lots of times the struggle overwhelms and blocks out the fact that he's there for us, but he is. Um, but anyway, I just speak peace to you, and Ray already kind of prayed that over you, so I don't think I need to pray, but I do release peace to you in those situations and not to be discouraged. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I want to talk tonight from Brian Fenimore spoke at the end of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, so uh, I'm going to take the first part of it. Uh, Marcus, when he spoke, actually went into the first few verses of chapter 3, so I'm going to kind of take the middle of chapter 3, and, uh, and almost, I don't know if we'll get to the end tonight, but uh, I think it's really important. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you heard or you sensed that someday you're going to stand before God and give an account for, for your sins and the things you've done right and the things you've done wrong? I mean, the, the sins that you've committed. How many have heard that? Anybody? Yeah, a lot of us have. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think because we don't have to be told that, but we just have a sense 
of condemnation and guilt and shame. We just kind of walk with it. We just kind of walk in condemnation because I don't know what it is. Uh, I, I just recently, I said something to my wife and I didn't mean to hurt her and, and it really hurt her. And, and then I realized, wow, how could I be such a jackass? You know, and I started just beating myself up and I apologized to her because she's really a gentle soul. And, you know, and I didn't mean to, it just kind of you know, we never mean to, you know, it just kind of pops out, you know, in that moment. And uh, I felt like such an ass, I, you know. And by the way, the word jackass is in the Bible, so I'm not cussing. I'm not. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> by the way, did you, did you know that PMS is in the Bible too? No. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it's fact, it's in Genesis. It said, <laughs> it said Mary rose Joseph's ass all the way to Bethlehem. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I know I'm going to get in trouble for that, but, you know, you're a good group, and uh, I wouldn't tell that on Sunday morning because I really would get a lot of emails, but, but <laughs> I don't know why that joke came up. But anyway, that's what I felt like. Let me just put it, I just tell you, I don't have PMS, but I felt like I did. Anyway, the problem is that what happens is we walk with a lot of condemnation and shame, and I believe this passage that we're going to look at tonight really helps free us from that, and it really clears up some very clear, you know, brings to light some things that are very important. So uh, let's jump right in. Uh, I'm going to be primarily reading from the ESV tonight, but uh, uh, I'm going to start, if my, <laughs> if this iPad will cooperate with me. Uh, let's see, here we go. Gosh, I don't know why I have to put that stupid number in every time. Okay, here we go. Um, we're going to go right, I'm not going to take it from the very beginning because, uh, as I said, Marcus taught on that a little bit, but I'm going to pick it up, um, oh man, ESV, it's supposed to be the ESV, just one letter off, okay, here we go, ESV, all right, okay, here we go, I'm going to pick it up from verse 5, now if you have your Bibles, you can follow with me in whatever translation you have, um, I use different translations, just happen to be using the ESV tonight, which I like the ESV, it's very similar to the NIV and the New King James, and, uh, and so anyway, it jumps in here, it says, uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, what then is Apollos? Now, he's just said before that, he just said, look, guys, you can't, I can't really speak to you as really mature Christians because you're carnal, you're fleshly, and the reason is because there's divisions among you, and you have envy and jealousy and strife. You're not working together, and one says, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of, you know, I'm of someone else, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of... You know, and, they, and, and I'm of Jesus, and, I, and, and there's all this division, and there's all this junk going on, and so I can't speak to you as mature Christians. Uh, I can only give you milk because you choke on solid food. And then he goes on down in verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants the, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, why does that do that? Okay. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. See, you can get pride about, well, you know, I, I did this. You know, I, I led this person to the Lord, or I planted the seed, or I watered the seed, or, you know, look at me. Aren't I great? And it's, it's no, you're just a person, and God is one that gives the increase, and he's the one that really gets the glory. He's the one that gives the growth. He's the one that brings, the, brings those things. And, and it goes on to say, he who plants and he who waters are one. In other words, they're working together. Each one will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. 
You are God's field. You are God's building. Now, he's going to now take the analogy of a building, and he's going to use that to explain some really key theological principles, which I believe set us free when we really understand this. And it was fun for me to go back into this and study it again. I hadn't studied it for a while, this passage. And uh, so, in actually picking it up in verse 10, and we'll have it, I'll put these up on, just in case you didn't bring your Bible or you don't have your, your app, on, and you know, I, uh, it, we'll put it up on, on the screen or you can follow in your own Bible. So let's go to verse 10. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is what? Which is what? Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop there for a minute, and I want to just say that without a foundation in Jesus Christ, you can't build beyond that. So this is written just to believers. This is not written to unbelievers. This is written to believers. This is written to those who have received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You see, once you receive Jesus, you have a foundation in him. That foundation is more important than anything else. Just like if you try to build a building without a foundation, what's going to happen? The building's going to collapse. And the truth is, he was saying, you cannot build upon, you can't build anything unless you have a foundation in Christ. Some people try to through good works and through other things, but first of all, you've got to receive Jesus and let him come into your life. Now, he died for you, and so he emphasizes grace. Grace is what Jesus did for us. He hung on the cross. He died. He took your sin, my sin, all the sins of the world upon himself. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. He was sinless. It says he was tempted in every way like us, but without sin. So he took the sins of the world upon him, your sin, my sin, and because of that, he gave his life for us. Now, it's not enough for us to know that. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you're saved. By grace you're saved. How are we saved? Through what Jesus did, right? What he did on the cross. That's how we're saved. It's, and it goes on to say, through faith. Faith, in other words, it's not enough to just know it. Oh, I know Jesus died for me. That's not enough. It says, for by grace you're saved through faith. Faith is that little arm that says, wow, Jesus, thank you for doing that. Now I receive it. And it says, not because of works, lest anyone should boast. You can't say, wow, Jesus, look at all I did. Now won't you accept me? No, Jesus, we can't live up to God's standard. It's impossible. That's why Jesus had to die. If we could get there by our works and by being good enough, guess what? Jesus wouldn't have had to give his life. So he gave his life for us, and then when he comes into his life, the foundation is immediately laid. We don't have to lay the foundation. It's laid when Jesus Christ comes into our life. Now, he goes on to say, and, and so let me just say this. Grace, you know, grace is how building the foundation, that the foundation is built when Jesus comes into our life, and that equals salvation. Say salvation. Now, salvation is solely through Jesus Christ. It's not through Jesus and works. It's not through Jesus and baptism. It's, and those are good. Baptism is good. Works are good. All those things are good. It's not through Jesus and circumcision, as the Judaizers tried to tell, you know, and, and Messianic uh, sometimes will also, the legalistic ones, or some that aren't, but they'll try to say, well, you need to follow Torah, and you need to do this, and you need to fulfill the old covenant. And, 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 but it's, it's just Jesus. 
thank God Jesus made it so simple that it's Jesus Christ, that's where the foundation gets laid. And that's where your salvation is in. And so once you know that, then you can begin to build on that. So very, very important. And again, this was written to believers only. Now, I want you to go a little further here and see what he says. He says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation, and he's going to give six kind of building things that we build with. First, he says, gold, silver, and precious stones. That's the first. And then he says, or with wood, hay, and straw. Now, how many of you know if you build something with gold, silver, and precious stones, how many of you know that's going to last? Amen? How many of you know if you build it with wood, hay, and, and straw, <laughs> that's probably not going to last a long time? Amen? So the key is what this is referring to, the building blocks that we're building on the foundation are our works. That's the works. That's with the things that we do in life. And so that's the... Now... Here's what he goes on to say. He says, each one's work will become manifest. In other words, it'll become known. In other words, the works will be very clear. When will they do it? For the day will disclose it. Now that day is the day when, and here's why. It's the day when, uh, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, in other words... The works that you've done will be, they're, they're going to be tested. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you, when you, can, you build with wood, hay, and stubble, it can look really good. How many of you know when fire comes, it's not going to last? Amen? It's going to go poof. But if you've built with gold, silver, and precious stones, when the fire comes, the gold's just going to glow, the silver's going to glow, and the stones are going to glow. And so it's really important to know that. Now, you might say, well... Well, where does the fire come from? I don't know if this is literal fire. I don't know that it is. I don't think that it is. But I believe through Jesus Christ, his clarity brings all things to the light. And in other words, that fire, in fact, I'm going to put up a scripture here that I thought about. I went to, it's Revelation 1.14. It says, the hairs of his head were like white, like white wool like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Now it says like a flame of fire. They weren't a flame of fire, but they were like a flame of fire. I believe that's because Jesus can see very clearly. He can see right through the the smoke, uh, the smoke screens, the, the junk, the crap. He can see right through it and he sees what's real and he sees what isn't real. So it's really important to know that Jesus can see. He knows exactly what's real. Now here's the thing that's going to happen. And, and this is important. Let's, go, let's just follow along here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, uh, it says this. Now, this is after the, it's been tested by fire. It says, if the work that anyone has built on foundation survives, he or she will receive a what? A what? A reward. Now, in other words, <laughs> you're going to receive a reward for the works that you've done on this earth that have value, that have eternal value, that have lasting value. The other stuff that may look good, it's not going it, it, to stand the test of time. It's not going to stand the test of Jesus. And it says, uh, 
If anyone's work is burned up, now listen to this, this is key. He will suffer loss, though he himself will be what? Will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, salvation comes solely through what? Through Jesus and what he's done on the cross, through the grace of God, when I receive it, that means I can be secure in my salvation. Now, somebody said, well, can you lose your salvation? I think it's almost impossible, but I always leave the door open a crack. I think it's possible, but the only way you can lose your salvation is by rejecting the source of your forgiveness, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Now, if you go through it and then you reject Christ, then you've rejected the source of your salvation. So it's possible, but it's pretty difficult. Very, very difficult. You're not going to lose your salvation because you sin. You're not going to lose your salvation because you built with really crappy wood and, and straw and, you know, junk. <laughs> that's, you're not going to lose your salvation over that. And that's really important to know. Your salvation in Jesus Christ is secure unless you reject him. And so you need to know that at the very core of your being. Because otherwise, you'll walk in condemnation, you'll walk in guilt, you'll feel bad about yourself, you'll think, well, I'm not, I, I, I really question whether I'm really saved or not. Well, salvation is through Jesus Christ, not your works. However, works are very important. Now, um, one thing that's important, in fact, I want to just put this scripture up because it deals with, with sin. Because I think a lot of us, you know, when we blow it, we just feel so bad. And, and, and that's good that we feel bad, but we can't stay feeling bad because Jesus died for our sin. And when we keep beating ourselves up over the fact that we made a mistake, that just drives us down deeper into the enemy's hands. And I'm going to put up Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 and 14. It says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in the process of being sanctified. What does that mean? That means, first of all, salvation is one thing. Sanctification, uh, sanct salvation happens instantaneously. Although, if you grew up in a Christian home, you might have given your life to Jesus when you were five, and then you were more serious you know, when you were 10, and then you were in a junior high camp, and, and at 13, you gave your life again, and then you gave your life at 18, and then you had a little bit of a drop-off, and then at 25, you got really serious about God again. So, again, you could say, well, that was a process where you got more serious about God as you went along, but salvation, you know, <laughs> that's secure, but sa sanctification is a process. What is sanctification? A simple definition of sanctification is becoming more like Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, it's in the difficult times that we become more like him when we keep our eyes on him and don't get bitter and ticked off. And so it's so, so important to recognize sanctification is the process we're going through, but salvation is, is, is something that is the foundation of our life. And so when you understand that, then you can see, you know, how do you build? Well, this is actually talking about when it talks about that you're going to stand before God let me just say this clearly. Uh, you will not be judged for your sin. You're not going to be judged for your sin. What kind of a God would he be if he sent Jesus to die for your sin and then he made you stand judgment for your sin? That's a schizophrenic God. He's not a schizophrenic God. 
you will not stand judgment for your sin. I remember I had a, a very, I'd say a heated conversation with, with a well-known person. I'm not going to mention his name. He's a friend, and, uh, but he's very well-known. And, 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 and at this, I don't think he still holds us. At that time, he felt that we would actually stand before God for our sin. And he used the scripture out of uh, Matthew 12, verse 36. Can you, is it possible, uh, can you, Joe or somebody, is anybody back there? Oh, you're, oh, good, Marcus is there. I didn't see his head. Marcus, could you put up, uh, just put up Matthew 10, 36. I didn't, uh, I mean 12, 36. Matthew 12, 36. I didn't expect to go here, but I think this is a, a real good example because this is a scripture I think that causes people not to sleep well at night. But I want you to see this because it sounds like we're going to stand before God and every idle word that we say we will be judged for. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that scares the poop out of me. Anyway, if that's what it means. But, so I, I want you to look at this. I want you to see, I want you to see this because uh, see if you can find it. 12, Matthew 12, 36. I don't care what translation. Um, but anyway, it says here, um, here it is. <coughs> I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. <laughs> now that word, <coughs> empty, or, you know, idle, the King, New King James says idle, <coughs> choked on the water. <coughs> anyway, the word there, actually what it means is it means worthless. It means words that are, you know, uh, Words that actually, well, let me tell you the context. Whenever you see a passage taken out of context, you always study it in context, and then you take it in the context of, of, the, you know, of, the, of the New Testament. Well, this is follows right after the Pharisees had accused Jesus of casting out demons by satanic means. In other words, they attributed what Jesus had done to Satan. <clears throat> Jesus said, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it's unforgivable. Now, what's the unforgivable sin? Some people have come to me and said, Pastor, I think I've, I've committed the unforgivable sin. Do you know what the unforgivable sin is? That's right. That's one of our elders speaking up there. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> anyway, it's rejecting Jesus. That's the unforgivable sin. A lot of people during the charismatic renewal, they say, oh, don't say anything bad about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read it in context, they were literally <laughs> coming against the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they were blaspheming to the point, and that's where Jesus says, you know, your idle words. In other words, words that are not true, they're going to be held against you, but these are not believers. These were Pharisees who were literally rejecting Jesus. This is not for believers, folks. I'm thankful because growing up between New York and Philadelphia, that's the potty mouth capital of the world. So I would be in deep trouble if it wasn't for Jesus. But he's forgiven me. And I can even say crap in church and not feel bad about it. Now, the point is, what I'm trying to say is, uh, I'm not saying it's great to cuss. I'm not saying that. But these words were much more than just saying a four-letter word when you hit your thumb trying to nail a nail, a nail into a board. It, it's not talking about that. It's talking about literal words that were very powerful in the rejection of Christ. And so it's really important that you see this and that you know that Jesus has forgiven us and we will not stand, we don't stand, unbelievers are the ones that are going to be judged for their sin. Think about it. 
We will not be judged for our sin. Why? Because we have been forgiven. We've been forgiven of our sin. So you need to get that down in your spirit. Now, when you blow it and you make a mistake, you need to run to him and receive that forgiveness so you're not under condemnation. Because we all make mistakes. Has anybody not made a mistake in their life? Obviously, I mean, that's a stupid question. You know, obviously, uh, everybody has. And uh, I could probably say how many made a mistake today, and many of you would raise your hands. Because, you know, we, we just do. We don't try to. We just do, you know, and and so it's good when we feel bad about it, but not beat ourselves up. That badness should run, cause us to run to Jesus, not run from Him. And so when we know that, we don't have a mentality of a condemnation, guilt, and shame mentality. We have a, a righteousness because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. He's imparted that to us, and so we get to walk in that. And it doesn't mean we're always perfect. It doesn't mean that, but it means that He has forgiven us. And so it's amazing when we understand that. Now, I do want to say this. Believers, as believers, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. It's interesting, the word judgment seat of Christ. That's a very interesting word. And um, did, I, did I do this? Did I do the Hebrews one? Did I finish that? I don't think I did. did I, I didn't finish it. You want to go back to Hebrews 10? I have a tendency to jump. Okay. But when Christ had offered for all times a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. I think I stopped there. For by a single offering, no, I guess I read this all, that he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So, again, I want you to get that because when you understand that, you're perfected for all time. You know, that, and by that, it doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that he has released you from it, and so you're being sanctified in the process. And part of sanctification is blowing it and running to him and not making the same mistake over and over and over and over again. Amen? Okay. So, anyway, go ahead and put up the next slide. So I want you to see this. This is really important. We are saved by, but we are rewarded. How, what are we rewarded for? Works. Now think about that. See, we're not saved by works. Works gets a bad, you know, ah, you don't need works. Works aren't important. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. I don't get into work. Let me tell you something. You will be judged for your works. You will be. You'll be judged for works. Here's the good news. Even if you didn't really produce much, even if you didn't do much in walking with the Lord and, and being obedient to him, even if you didn't do much, you're saved. And we had this person, I had this conversation, and he said, I think there's going to be a lot of sadness when Christians stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I said, I don't think so. I think there might be a little regret, but I think it's going to be so exciting to get into heaven. I think that that's going to trump any sense of, oh, wow, I didn't do enough, I didn't do enough for God, or I didn't do this well, or I, you know, I really think that. However, I do want to tell you that you're going, to be, you're, going to, you're going to receive rewards. And it's very interesting. The word here, well, let me give you another scripture first. And then uh, I, think, I think I lost. Oh, here it is. Okay. Let me give you this scripture first. Now, it doesn't, in 1 Corinthians 3, it doesn't say it's the judgment seat of Christ, but it is. Because it's believers where they're going to be, the works are going to be tested. And in other places, in... <clears throat> Romans, uh, in Romans 10, I think it's 10, 17, it talks about it. But also, here's the one I want you to see. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. 
And I want you to see this. We'll put it up. So whether we are at home or away, and this is where Paul has just talked about to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and that should be a great confirmation or comfort. When you leave this body, you're going to be in his presence. And then it says, so whether we are at home or away, meaning, you know, whether we're with the Lord or whether we're not, I mean, whether we're still on earth, we make it our aim to what? To what? To please him. So our heart, our heart is, God, I want to do what you want me to do. You've saved me, Jesus, and I want to do what you've called me to do. My life is yours, and I want you to lead me. I want you to direct me. I want you to have my life because I want to be a blessing. And so that's where it starts. So whether home or weight, we must. And then it says this. uh, We make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is written to believers, folks. This isn't written to unbelievers. Unbelievers will not be at the judgment seat of Christ. But it goes on to say, uh, for we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, that word evil is actually not a very good translation. The word there should be whether good or, actually the word is paulos, P-A-U-L-O-S in the Greek, and it actually means worthless or without value. So in other words, in other words if you build with things that are not, have, any, have no value, then you're not going to be rewarded for that. So, so the question is, <coughs> you're going to receive, and actually, that's weird. Um, I think, oh, you know what, uh, put up the... Put up the, uh, what is it? The, put up the other, the, the other translation, the, uh, the Passion Bible. By the way, let me say something about the Passion Bible. Um, you know, I always try to take and go back to the original language to check it out. Sometimes the Passion Bible is just flowery and, and I don't like it. Other times the Passion Bible is right on. Uh, it, it, I think sometimes it tries to do too much by building in passion and, and it, it takes... Too much liberty, in my opinion, with Scripture. I like to keep Scripture according to the original text. But in this case, they did a really good job on this. And it says, so whether we live or die, we make it our life's passion to live our lives pleasing to him. For one day we will be openly revealed before Christ, which again, this is how they translate the judgment seat of Christ, on his throne, the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us will be duly recompensed. Now, in other words, we're going to receive a recompense. We're going to receive uh, for our actions done in life, whether good or worthless. Now, the worthless, that's, that's a really good translation for that word. So it's not evil. It's not meaning moral evil or some kind of demonic evil or anything. It's not talking about that. It's actually talking about real, it very clearly it's talking about just worthless. It's just, and, and I really think that some of the things we do, I think some of the things we do, we think that, you know, it may look good externally, but sometimes, you know, it, it's not that great because our motive is wrong. So how can we know? And, and anyway, put up the, the, the word, put up the judgment seat of Christ. I want, to, I want you to show you the Greek. The Greek word for judgment seat is the word bima. Say bima. And Bema actually means it's a raised platform or throne. 
there was a place actually in Caesarea where the, you know, the large, in fact, we've been there whenever we go to Israel, we go there to the Caesarea. That's, that's where the, the games went on. And, you know, and there was a place where uh, Herod had a throne there. And basically it was called a bima. But also the bima was the platform and the place where Olympic athletes received their crowns or their, their rewards. That's where they were rewarded. So this is the word that's used in the Greek. It's, the Greek word is bima. I think a better translation than the judgment seat of Christ, it is judged. We're being judged, but judgment always sounds negative to me. I think a better would be the reward seat of Christ. But again, not everybody's going to be rewarded. Some are just going to sneak in, uh, you know, with their pants on fire. But anyway, they're going to get in. <laughs> they're going to get in, and that's the main thing. But, but you see, the truth is that the good news in this is we're, we're going to be rewarded for those things we've done. Now, let's talk about so what do, what do you think? I'll let you talk a little. I've been talking too much. What do you think will be the things that we'll be rewarded for? Somebody kind of raise their hand, and I'll try to see you out there. What do you think we'll be rewarded for? What works will be rewarded for? Steve? Okay, that's, a, that's kind of a nebulous word. What does that mean? Obedience. Very good. So obedience to what? To what your father told you, what your pastor told you, or what your wife told you? <laughs> what is it? Okay. Very good. Very good. I think obedience is one of the keys. See, <laughs> obedience is essential. So if we're doing things that might be good things, but it's not out of obedience to Christ, I believe we're building with wood, hay, and straw. But when we're, when we're building with what he's telling us to do, and some of the things that he's telling us to do may not have a, a really great appearance. I mean, it might, might not be this wonderful facade or this wonderful, it may be something internal. You know, it, it may be reaching out and helping people. It may be, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. But I do believe obedience is key. What else? What else do you think is important in determining what works will be rewarded? I think it's really important for us to think about this. Yes, Terry? Say loud. Learn to love. I think that's a key. Obedience and love, I think, are the two most important things. You know, it says this in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, doesn't benefit. If I, and then it goes on to say, you know, if I have so much faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, doesn't help. If I give everything I have to the poor, now that looks great. If I give everything I have to the poor and even deliver my body to be burned, which means I die a martyr's death, but I haven't love? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what I'm saying is it doesn't benefit. It doesn't have any value. Why? Because it's motivated out of self. And it's motivated, look what I've done. I've given all this to the poor. Look what I've done. You know what? That's not the right motive. You may be doing it to please people. You may be doing it to look good. You may be doing it for the totally wrong motive. That's why we got to keep our heart really totally in God, totally surrendered to him. And we need to be willing to be obedient even when it's uncomfortable. And i, I got to tell you that. So let me say this. We can't really judge in fact, you know, Paul talks about this. I don't have time to go into this, but in Romans, he talks about don't judge others and don't judge. And actually, in chapter 4, 
He gets into it where he says, you can't self-evaluate. You can't, you can't tell what works are going to be valuable and what works aren't. You can't do it. So you just got to keep your heart pure. You got to be willing to be obedient. And I believe it's the smaller things oftentimes that we're going to be rewarded for, not the big things. You know, there's a poem that, uh, that I love, and it, it goes like this. Uh, it goes, I, I don't know if we have, do we have the poem? I don't think we do, but I, I know the poem. It, it goes, and you might, you've heard this, I'm sure. Only one life will soon be passed. And, and this is what the, what the poem, the guy that wrote the poem said, only what's done for Christ will last. There's something flawed about that. Anybody want to guess what the flaw is? Let me say it again. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Where's the flaw? Pardon me? It's the, very good, honey. Yes. You, yeah. You win a bar when you get home. Anyway, a health bar. Anyway, uh, but, but anyway, the key here is God doesn't want you to do anything for him. It's not for Christ. It's through Christ. So I changed the poem. The guy's probably rolling over his grave who wrote it. I don't know who it was, but I think it's anonymous, so anonymous won't be that upset. Anyway, the fact is that here's the fact. Here's what I want you to get. I want you to get the fact that only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done through Christ will last. See, he wants to partner with us. He wants to get together with us. He wants to operate through us, and that's what brings him glory. That's why it's so important to really be surrendered in your heart to him. Don't, I've said this, you know, when I was the lead pastor and would preach a lot. I'd say, don't do anything for God. You know why? If you do something for God, you'll go, wow, God, look what I did for you. <laughs> I am pretty awesome. I did this for you. And God goes, no, that's pride. Or if you do try to do something for God and you fall flat on your face, you're going to be ticked off at God. God, I tried to do this for you and it didn't work out. And God goes, yeah, that's because you tried to do it for me and you didn't do it through me and with me, in partnership with me. That's key. You see, when you try to do all these things in your own power, pride just can come in and rob you from the blessing. And so it's so important to allow him to do things through you and recognize that you're totally dependent on him. You know, it said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is being totally dependent upon God. You know, it's interesting in Numbers 12, 1, it says, and Moses was the most humble of all men. Now, who wrote that? Moses. See, we don't understand humility, so that sounds like arrogance. Moses, how can you say that? You know why? What Moses was saying, if you get the true definition, Moses was saying, he was saying this. He goes, Moses was, was the most dependent upon God of all men because he was leading one to three million complaining Jews through the wilderness. 
<laughs> and he needed God deeply to help him in that. So that's what humility is. Pride is when, wow, I can do it myself. Aren't I great? No, you're not. And God resists the proud, but he gives grace to those who are dependent upon him. So again, I really believe those guys hit it right on the, right on the nose. Obedience with the motive of love. That's the works that God will bless us for. And some of the things that we did with the wrong motive, maybe it was to, you know, uh, I mean, I know sometimes I've had wrong motives, although it looked good what I was doing. And I believe sometimes I've had, hopefully, <laughs> I find out, I guess, when it's, <laughs> I'm at the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> but I think sometimes I've had the right motive. But again, we can't really self-evaluate. So we'll find out. But here's the thing I want you to know. Guess what? <clears throat> Everyone who's received Christ, you're going to get in. You know, you may, you may be low on rewards, but you're going to get in. Amen? And so that's the good news. <laughs> so, so make sure you get a hold of that one when you go home. Don't stay up tonight turning and tossing in bed, worrying about the rewards you're going to get. Here's the irony, too. We're going to get crowns. You know what we're going to do with those crowns when we get them? Yeah, we're going to show them off, Gary. That's right. We're going to show them off to the other people. No, we're not. No, we're not, <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. What we're gonna, when we get our crowns, what are we going to do? We're going to lay them at Jesus' feet. Why? Because the only reason that we have crowns is because of who? Because of Jesus. <laughs> so we're going to get those rewards, and we're going to just lay them at his feet. I mean, think about that. It's going to be awesome. So I just hope I have something to lay at his feet. But I believe we'll all have something, you know. Some of us might have little piddly crowns. But anyway, other was so... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the fact is, I'm not trying to be funny tonight. Uh, but, but anyway, the truth is that, that you know, we're, we're going to be blessed no matter what. We're going to be super blessed. And, and the good news is we get to spend the rest of our life really walking in obedience with a heart of love. And I think that's exciting. And so hopefully tonight this helps you. You're not going to stand judgment for your sin. <laughs> but you will stand judgment for your works. But the good news is you're already in. Say, I'm already in. Thank God. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for each and every person tonight. I thank you, Lord. And I just pray. I pray for each and every person in this place. I pray, Lord, that we all will continue to die to self, that we'll continue to live with you in cooperation with you, that we'll live with a true humility and dependence upon you, that we will, Lord, really walk in your love. Romans 5, 5 tells us you, you shed your love abroad in our heart. You poured your love into our hearts. And so it's there. Help to unlock it. Lord, help all self-ambition and selfishness and all that stuff to be crucified on a daily basis, which is part of our sanctification, I know. And Lord, help us to walk close to you. And Lord, we just thank you so much for giving us salvation through your death on the cross, through the incredible sacrifice you made. And all we had to do was receive. And if you're here tonight and you're wondering, wow, all you have to do is pray sincerely from your heart, Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive me of all my many mistakes. Make me the person you want me to be. Help me to walk close to you. 
Help me to walk with you. Help me to cooperate with you. And let me die to my selfish ambition and to all the things that get in the way. Lord, I give it all to you. I want to live with you. I want to live for you. I want to live in cooperation with you in total humility and dependence. And I thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Now, I always like to end on time. <laughs> no, don't say anything. You get me. You get me in trouble. You get me in trouble. Anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I just want to say, if you want to pray with somebody, maybe you're going through something. Uh, I think um, I'll stay up here. I'll, you know, it may not be anything to do with salvation or, or you know, rewards or anything like that. But Ray, would you be up here too, or do you have to go? Okay, you going to the bathroom or you're going out? <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> well, you look like you're in a hurry. That's why I asked. Anyway, 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 I love you all. This is really fun tonight. Thanks for letting me have fun. And uh, anyway, I love you all. And uh, have a great, great evening. And if you want to pray with somebody, just grab the person next to you and, and just pray with them.